We are in the book of Matthew. We've been studying this together for, uh, oh my, I figured up the other day, this is the 39th week we've been in Matthew. We haven't done it every single week, but we've been working on this since uh, the Sunday, first Sunday of Advent, right after Thanksgiving last year. So making our way through these chapters, we are in uh, chapter 23 today. This is a this is a really interesting chapter for us to look at. Uh, Jesus is um, giving us a really serious warning uh, for us to listen to. So a message to the church, a message to those uh, religious leaders that he's encountering there. You know, First uh, Timothy 3.16 reminds us and other places in scripture as well that the Bible uh, is uh, not only for our encouragement and equipping, uh, which that verse says, but also for correction and reproof. Uh, reproof is like a word that describes uh, warning. Uh, it can even even condemnation. Um, so this is a strong word uh, from Jesus for us to hear today. And so it's a, a reminder to us of uh, a sense of warning uh, that he brings to all of us. So the setting uh, that I've described for you, the setting really beginning in 21 is these last eight days uh, in the life of Jesus. So we saw the triumphal entry on Sunday morning uh, on in chapter 21. And now the remainder of 21, 22, all the way to 25 is this teaching time that is going on the last week uh, of Jesus. Uh, really excited about every one of these passages, 24, 25. You don't want to miss these, these chapters that we look at together in the next couple of weeks. So today, uh, Matthew 23. Matthew 23, without a doubt, is a difficult chapter of Scripture. Uh, it's, it's not that it's difficult to understand. We can grasp what Jesus is teaching here, but the text is difficult in that the message is especially penetrating and convicting, uh, especially for the church and for religious leaders uh, that he's talking to. Jesus sees uh, their hearts and exposes the hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders. And if we're listening right, we can feel our own, our own hearts being operated on in the process. You ever felt your heart being operated on in church? Um, happens often uh, as the Spirit of God penetrates through whatever's going on around us and begins to speak to us as we see him speaking in, in the scripture there in this chapter. Jesus' words here come from lips like claps of thunder and bolts of lightning. Out of his mouth come some of the most fearful and dreadful statements that he said to people. We see Jesus addressing the scribes and the Pharisees and notice some of the things he says. He calls them hypocrites, sons of hell, blind guides, fools, robbers, self-indulgent, whitewashed tombs, snakes, vipers, persecutors, and murderers. I don't really want him calling me any of those things. Uh, hopefully not you as well. Uh, it might be easy to read this chapter and focus on how evil these men were that they must have been to evoke this kind of wrath and condemnation from Christ. However, the scribes and the Pharisees were the most highly regarded religious people of their day. So they are not seen as insincere. They are believed fully. They believe fully in what they were doing that it was good, that it was right, and so did everybody else. 
uh, in their community around them. And so this chapter then serves and offers us a, a serious warning uh, for us to reflect on. So we're going to look at this in two parts. Chapter 23, 1 through 12 is one section uh, where he's speaking to one audience and then he's speaking to a different audience in 13 through 39. Um, so the audience here that he's talking to is the people or the crowds, uh, us really, uh, that, he is, that he is talking to. It says the crowds and to his disciples. Uh, later, we're going to see that he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, but he's talking to all of them. That's his audience. You might even say the audience is the church. Uh, so in verses 1 through 12 here, he's um, talking to us about our recognition of uh, who he is. Uh, he started this back in 21. Uh, we didn't quite finish 21, 41 to 46 because I wanted to connect it to this chapter. And here's what Jesus begins to do. He's, he first of all explains who he is. You remember the chapters that we looked at previously, there was all this attempt by the, uh, the Pharisees to trick him and to trap him. Said it out loud a couple of different times at situations where they were trying to, to trip him up. Well, how he, how he finishes that section is that he asks them a question. He talks to them about David. Uh, they called him the son of David, and they're trying to help him. He's trying to help them understand what that means. And what he comes down to is re recognizing that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Lord. Uh, looking back at his past and where he came from, but recognizing that Jesus was not just a prophet sent from God. That's kind of what they were wondering. Is he just another prophet or is he what people are saying, the son of God? And he says, he's reminding them that that he is Lord. His premise is that when he dies on a cross on Friday of this week, he wants them to know this was not just a good man. This was not just a prophet or a good teacher. He wants them to know he is God. He is the Lord God Almighty that ends up on a cross on our behalf. And when the resurrection happens on Sunday morning in Matthew 28, we'll see together that it was God that was raised from the dead, that he had given his life in sacrifice uh, for us. So that's kind of his tone that he's moving toward recognizing uh, who he is. So first of all, he explains uh, who he is at the end of 22. And as we get to chapter 23, uh, the first thing that happens is that Jesus exposes hypocrisy. Jesus exposes hypocrisy. Now, one of the ways I'd like you to think about this is, let's use the idea of big mouths and big heads. Big mouths and big heads. Now, I'm not talking about any of you, so it's somebody else for sure. But um, it's interesting to think about this passage and thinking about uh, his response to them of how they were thinking about themselves. So um, chapter 23, verse 1, talks to us about the crowds and his disciples that he's speaking to. And then it says, verse 2, Matthew 23, 2, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. 
they make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at the banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. That's the first seven verses there. So he's talking about exposing uh, the uh, hypocrisy. Uh, that they are in. Notice some of the phrases here that they use trying to describe um, their teaching of the scripture. Big mouths and big heads. What is he talking about? You know, notice he says that these people don't practice what they preach. Um, Therefore, they have a lot to say, but their lives don't reflect uh, that same thing. They are uh, people that have big heads. You know, it's um, one way to talk about... um, preaching, especially like from these Pharisees, you know, sometimes it was described as if that they were preaching on the line. On the line would mean that they were preaching accurately. Uh, you notice right at the beginning that said that they taught Moses and that you should follow what they do. So there were times when they taught the truth of the scripture, but they could also find themselves teaching above the line or below the line. Now, what would we mean about that? What that would mean is that it's easy to take the truth of Scripture and then to add to it. To add to it. Uh, we'll come back to this thought in a minute, but I want you to think about that. It's uh, not what they were doing there. He's talking about this cumbersome load that is being laid on them. He's basically saying, here's the truth, here's the gospel, but you laid even more on top of them, making it heavy and cumbersome for them. We'll pick that up again in a minute. You can also preach below the line, which means here's the truth of the gospel, but their lives didn't reflect it so that they were actually proclaiming a gospel that was below the truth as well. That, that makes sense to you? That's, that's, an, that's something for us to think about when, when we're teaching and we're preaching the truth. We're not preaching above the line, and we're certainly not living below the line. We're preaching the gospel and practicing what we preach. You use that phrase sometimes, don't you? Yeah, we don't use it just for the preacher. Uh, we talk about it ourselves. We don't want people telling us what to do when they're not even living that out themselves. Practice what you preach. Uh, so you see that whole picture there. Now, the other side of exposing hypocrisy for them was through, uh, notice it says in that scripture, uh, everything you do, you do to do what? Do you see that scripture? To be seen. Everything you do, is to be seen. Then he mentions uh, phylacteries. Maybe you don't know what phylacteries. He mentions phylacteries and tassels. Um, He's talking about that they are doing things, the spiritual things that they do, the proclamation they make of who they are, but it's only to be seen by others. Now, phylactery is a little wood box a little wood box that they would take paper and they would write a scripture from the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, and they would put this little paper inside of a box, hook it to a headband, and put it around their heads so their box was right here on their forehead. Aren't you glad we got over that one? (laughs) And the emphasis here for Jesus is Uh, They they made it the importance of how wide their box was. So not a little tiny box, but a big wide box. Oh, that makes me look so much more spiritual. Tassels. 
Tassels were a part of the prayer shawls that the men would wear. So they would wear these lovely uh, prayer shawls. I actually have one in my office. I should have brought it in here. Um, they have little... Um, uh, they have tassels on all four corners. And the competition was who could have the longest tassels? Because obviously if you had long tassels on your prayer shawls, that certainly means that you are such a person of prayer. All the sarcasm in this room right now. So. <laughs> he's talking to them about where, where's the truth of your heart? Uh, recognizing that he's revealing, exposing uh, hypocrisy. And so he's using it in turn, no big mouths, no just practice, practice or it's preaching without practicing uh, what you preach and recognizing uh, not just big heads that, that everything that you do is just, just for show, talking about these things, laying it out there, uh, recognizing that it's, that it's not taking place. So he wants them to be at a place of humility rather than exalting themselves. So, number one, Jesus explains who he is. Number two, Jesus exposes hypocrisy. And number three, Jesus exalts humility. Jesus exalts uh, humility. Now, this happens, we can see this clarified in 8 through 12 of chapter 23. Let's read a little bit of this. He says, but you are not to be called rabbi. Remember, you just said uh, up above there that you walk in the marketplaces to be called rabbi by others, but you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be uh, exalted. Uh, he, he's talking to them about uh, loving the best seats, knowing that uh, they are being exalted and lifted up, even the name uh, by which they're being called. So they're being called rabbi. Uh, they're uh, having these other names, even the name father, he says. So he's, uh, he's highlighting humility over against this hypocritical standpoint. So we had big mouths and, and big heads. So now we'll have small talk and small thoughts. Uh, how about that? You know, none of that's really right there in the scripture. I'm just trying to give you an idea of how Jesus is describing uh, for these people. Now, it's very interesting. He goes into this conversation about what we call ourselves. And he mentions rabbi and he mentions father, he mentions instructor. Um, I'm, I'm kind of glad he didn't say pastor because, uh, you know, if he said, don't call yourself pastor, then we wouldn't call ourselves pastor, right? It's kind of interesting to see how that works out. You know, we, there, there is this um, expression of calling people father. That, to me... Listen, I'm not making a judgment. I'm just saying if, if Jesus said, don't call yourself father, then don't call yourself father. It's a kind of odd, he, he's talking about making sure that we're not just, again, I'm not judging anybody. I'm just trying to figure out what Jesus is talking about right here. He's recognizing that there's, we got we to gotta look at our hearts and know, know where we are. You know, I, um, everybody calls me pastor, but I when I think of pastor, some, sometimes I even get called senior pastor by people that know we have a staff or whatever. But, um, you know, I'm not really interested in being exalted 
about anything. You know, pastor to me means servant. That means I get to serve, I get to serve her. Um, like I tell my staff sometime, um, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm not only work here, but I'm, the, I'm one of the best volunteers here. Because I end up, like on Fridays, I'll be here, and it's supposed to be my day off, they say, whatever, you know, so your time. And then there's other stuff to do, and I'm taking care of this, or I'm putting up chairs, or, you know, doing something like that. And somebody will come in and say, Pastor, you should not be doing that. You know, somebody, I said, why not? And, well, you know, they don't have any answer for that. They just think I shouldn't be doing that, I guess. Um, why not? You know, I'm, uh, you, you work you work and then you come here and many of you serve here. Why wouldn't I do that? I work here. I, you know, I don't, I don't come here because I get paid. You know, I, this is my job. I get that. But I'm, I, want, I, don't be, I want to be a servant. That's what he's talking about, having a servant's heart. So he's looking. He's examining my heart. He's examining yours. And he says in this passage, not only uh, that you would have small talk, meaning thinking about the way that you think about yourselves, but even thoughts about you as a servant. You see what he said, 11 and 12? He says, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So that's like the summary of what he is saying throughout verse, verses 12. Uh, down through verse 12 there. You know, there's another section of scripture in Philippians that says, uh, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to use to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, took up the very nature of a servant and made himself in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Uh, that's the kind of thinking that he wants for us. I'm telling you, if Jesus knew that he needed to be a servant, we know we need to be servants. It's not about exalting ourselves. It's about serving and giving ourselves to him. That's one of our kind of if you, if you notice around here, one of our little pieces of DNA of who we are is that everybody serves. People say, you can't get 100% to serve. I say, well, I can try. I want you to serve. I want you to give. I want you to find ways to, to be a servant of God. Um, maybe that's out there somewhere, but I don't, a lot of times people have a hard time figuring out where am I going to serve out there. So we create all kinds of opportunities here. Why? So you can help build the kingdom. You can serve others. You can humble yourself before the Lord on the basis of your relationship with him. Not because the pastor thinks you ought to humble yourself. I didn't say that. He said that. Humble yourselves. And when you do, he exalts you. He lifts you up. So that's his explanation here in this first part. He's talking about hypocrisy over against uh, humility uh, that he has for us. Now, when you get to verse 13, he's a whole new topic and a whole new audience. In verse 13, we realize that he's talking to the chief priest and the teachers of the law. Uh, and he's uh, going to speak to them. He's been talking to the disciples and now he is speaking uh, to these uh, religious leaders. Now, Matthew 23, 13 to 39, uh, I would say this is four warnings to every Christian from Jesus' seven woes to the Jewish religious leaders. Four warnings, seven woes. Now, woes, uh, what are woes? Woes are not W-H-O-A-S. 
when people say, whoa, like something's incredible or something. You're like kids say stuff like that. That's not what he's talking about. Woe is W-O-E-S. The seven woes. Woes in the Bible is always uh, a divine sense of judgment uh, that he is bringing. So he's, uh, he's offering these seven woes. Uh, so I want you to, to hear this whole section of scripture, but notice each of the woes as they come along. Verse 13, woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. 15, woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. 16, third woe. Woe to you, blind guides. You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath, you blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath, you blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. 23, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. 25, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. 27, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. 29, woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would have not taken part in them by shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. 33, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Beccarii, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all this will come on this generation. 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look at your house. 
is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I bet you that's the first time in a long time, if ever, that you've heard read Matthew 23 in church. It's such a word. Uh, he's, he's got all these, all these images, images that, that we're familiar with, images of uh, slamming the door in people's face, uh, images of, uh, he talks about the um, cup that was clean on the outside but not clean on the inside, the whitewashed tombs, uh, all this language is, is language that, that you even hear in our society that comes right out of Matthew uh, 23. Jesus is uh, responding to these people. So what I want to give you is like four warnings for us um, because the question might come to your mind, well, why is that chapter even in the Bible if all he's doing is just coming against or attacking these religious leaders? Because he's not just talking to them, he's talking to us. He's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. So there are some warnings here through these woes that we need to apply to ourselves. So I'm going to give you four warnings that we should have as Christians that come out of these woes. Warning number one. The first warning that he mentions here is zeal against zeal without knowledge. Zeal without knowledge. So he's He's talking uh, immediately to these. He's referencing through the first two woes, uh, these woes that are of divine judgment. They kind of overlap together. And so the first thing he says is that you present the truth to the people and yet you slam the door in their face basically by adding to it, making it more difficult to respond to the truth about God. You know, we are, um, I, I'm Nazarene. I love being Nazarene. Once in a while, somebody will come here and say, well, we came to visit, but we're not sure we're Nazarene. Yeah, I, I get that. But you know, there is, you're not going to be saved. You're not going to heaven because you were Nazarene or Baptist or Presbyterian or whatever other label is outside of a building. That will not get you there. The only thing that will get you there is Jesus. You know, and if we, if, we, if we make it like that somehow being Nazarene is somehow greater than being with Jesus, then we messed up, right? You, you ever, you know, some people kind of act like that once in a while. They act like, well, if, you know, if you're not this denomination or if you're not this or that, then maybe there's a little something. You know, the answer is it is Jesus all the way from the beginning to the end. Our trust in Jesus. We can't add to it. You know, we, you know, I love who we are, but he's recognizing that we have to have the right knowledge. He's talking about slamming the door in the face or adding this cumbersome load uh, on others. You know what? We cannot make it harder for people to try to to know that they're going to heaven because of our, that we, we set up some kind of thing that, you know, you're not going to get to heaven because of Lloyd, I'm telling you that. Not because of what I'm saying. You're going to get to heaven because of Christ. That's my hope is I'm pointing you to Christ. Uh, I don't know if you notice, but I have lots of zeal. <laughs> I like that word. Uh, I have a lot of zeal, but he's talking about 
zeal and passion for kind of our own self-perspective rather than zeal and passion related to the knowledge about the things of God. You got to have knowledge before you can have zeal. If all you have is passion and you're enthusiastic about it, but you don't have the truth right, then he says, that is woe to you, he says. So he wants us to make sure, you know, I, I hope you notice that my zeal is led by knowledge. I get pretty excited about what the Bible says Christ can do, does do, works in our life. Uh, I get very enthusiastic about that. Uh, I think that means that on the basis of knowledge, then we have zeal. So he's talking to them about not allowing there to be a hypocrisy where you have enthusiasm, you're zealous about it, but maybe more zealous about your own rules and your own ways rather than whatever the truth of the gospel uh, is for us. What, he, what I think he's trying to say is that we have to be light and we have to be heat. Light means that we have the full knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we understand the Bible, that we study the Bible together, and that we are light, shining our light. That's what's happening in this sanctuary right now is an attempt to give light to this scripture. We're trying to put a spotlight on what Jesus was teaching here so that we can then apply that to our light. We got to be light. Full knowledge of the gospel, of what the scripture says. However, we also need to be heat, which means that we are in full, high devotion to God. You know, he, he wants us to have both. Amen? Both of those. That we know and we understand, we apply that to our life, but then that leads us to high devotion for him. So you see warning number one is related to um, zeal without knowledge. Number two, second warning is in woes three and four. And we'll call this against majoring in minors. Majoring in minors. Now, the way he describes this one is that he's talking about blind, he calls them blind or blind guides uh, four different times in those verses I read to you right down uh, through that section there beginning in verse 9. Uh, Jesus is making this serious point about being blind gods, and he kind of uses it in a humorous way. It's sort of like, um, it would seem funny to me if I went to the Grand Canyon and they introduced me to a blind guide. You know, they have that little walk thing that you can walk out on the glass. You're going to let somebody blind walk you out? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. That doesn't seem right, does it? And he says that's what he's describing these, these Pharisees and religious leaders, that they are blind guides. They are not leading people. They're uh, like the blind leading the blind, it says in some places. So he's reminding us of the... the uh, what he is calling them to be. You know, he doesn't want them majoring on the minors, being these blind guides. He's saying to them, you haven't focused on the truth and on justice, mercy, and salvation, but you decided to uh, major on these other things. Like, you know, tithing is important, but tithing is not more important than salvation and the blood of Jesus. Now, if you, you don't go out and say, I said, don't tithe, you know. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes we get caught, caught up and the, the world kind of looks at the church and wonders, what, what are we really majoring on here? 
because the Bible says that they will know we are Christians by, by our love, not the color of the carpet in the foyer. Not how we decided to name this or name that or, or some other thing that we get all worked up. You know, so many times the church gets in trouble because they major on minors rather than the, the things that we really need to be focused on. I'm not just talking about us. I'm just talking about the church in general. Have you heard churches that split over the color of the carpet? I mean, that's ridiculous. Um, you know, we have to be careful about stuff like that, where we get so focused on little things that are clearly important, but not as important as the salvation of souls, not as important as the transforming work of the Holy Spirit uh, in our life. We have to, he's telling them, you got focused on in, in, the wrong, uh, in the wrong direction there. So don't be the blind guide, he says. Make sure that you major on the majors, not on the, the minor. Warning number three. Warning one, zeal without knowledge. Two, majoring with minors. Number three, against outward appearance. Against an outward appearance. Now, here he's talking about this. He's talking about hypocrites. He's talking about images of that. And um, I could ask you, how's your dinnerware? How's your cup? Clean on the outside and clean on the inside. That's, that's his imagery that he's given to us. His, um, is have you just cleaned clean the outside, but the end. So he's talking about your heart, right? He's not talking about your dinnerware. He's talking about how do you look on the outside? Have you presented yourself? And does who you are on the inside match who you are on the outside? <clears throat> Appearances. He talks about whitewashed tombs. Many times they would, uh, it was unclean for somebody to touch a grave or a tombstone. And so many times they would, they would whitewash those tombs as they were making their way to Jerusalem so people wouldn't, wouldn't uh, get unclean. And Jesus just uses that term, says you've taken all this time to pressure wash your, white, your tombs there to make them all clean, but you know the grave itself is unclean, filled with dead bones and dead body. And uh, he's saying, um, I reckon I... What do you look like on the outside? Is he saying the outside is not important? Now, when we say outside, I'm not talking about your clothes today. Uh, he's talking about how you live your life. Uh, do you go to church? Do you have spiritual parts of who you are? Uh, he's saying, are you doing things just on the outside, or does the outside match the inside? Uh, have you focused on inward holiness and not just following some rules or doing some spiritual things? Not that those are bad but they're not the same as what's happening on the inside. He is asking us about our hypocrisy. You know, do we live lives that where we look good on the outside, but not on the inside? You know, he wants us to be honest and genuine in our relationship with him. He says to these guys, you uh, have got all the, all the outside stuff. You look good to everybody. Everybody thinks you're great, but I know that there's something wrong with your heart. That's a good question for us. What is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is somebody that puts on a false face. Uh, it started in theater with a mask that they would wear. Um, or pretending to be what you're, what you're not. 
So is your heart the same uh, as your outside? Uh, the warning to us is, is obvious. Watch out for just outward appearances that neglect inward holiness. It's not our outward appearance that it not that our outward appearance doesn't matter, but it matters a lot less than what he's doing to us on the inside. Amen to that? The inside matters so much more. Um, so you, you, might, you might today, uh, maybe somebody might wear their Sunday best. I, this is about as good as I get right here. Sunday best. But spiritually, not just Sunday best, but Monday best, Tuesday best, Wednesday best, Thursday best, every day. You can't see on the inside. But if my inside is corrupted compared to my outside, I'm lost. I'm going to hell. I will not be in a right relationship with Christ, be filled with hypocrisy. So it doesn't matter how good you look on the outside if the inside is not right with Christ. So that's his focus uh, this, on this outward appearance through woes number Five and six. Final warning. Warning number four is the seriousness of unbelief. The seriousness of unbelief. First of all, you know, you sort of got this number seven, which is like the uh, important number in the Bible. So you got the seventh woe. And through this woe, he's calling them hypocrites. He's uh, recognizing that they have not seen and have an awareness of who they are, but he's reminding them of who he is. In verse uh, 34, um, he starts saying, I, he says, therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes. Uh, you might say, well, who does he think he is? Does he think he's God? Yes, he does. He is the Lord our God. Uh, he says, in verse 36, truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Well, who does he think he is? God? Yes, he is. He's the Lord, our God. He says, I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Who does he think he is? He is the Lord, our God. Does he think that? Absolutely. Do we think that? And does that impact how we live? Yes, he is. Uh, he is the Lord of all. He is helping us to see here this focus on, on unbelief, how these, how these men have proclaimed uh, truth of Scripture and yet not lived out uh, who they were and what they were to be, the, this importance of uh, unbelief. You know, I am done with negotiating with God. I'm done. I mean, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, if Jesus says that I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father outside of belief in him, I believe that. How about you? That's what he says. He, he is the Lord. He doesn't want us in this negotiating place where we sort of believe or maybe and, you know, we're kind of in and out. No, he's asking for a genuine commitment of your life to Jesus Christ. No hypocrisy. Rid us of hypocrisy. Um, 
when I, when I think about this, I know that Jesus is the only way to salvation. He's the only remedy to the tragedy of sin and death for me, for us, for those we love, for those in the world around us. God calls us to give everything that we have to him. You know, ultimately, God did not include chapter 23 in Matthew's gospel to show us how Jesus attacked the religious leaders. He placed it there so the church and us as believers would listen freshly to the Lord's woes warnings so that we might see Jesus Christ for who he really is and respond to him. So two, two reactions. Reaction number one. For me, reaction number one is that the church and us as believers, we have to be the real deal. We cannot allow hypocrisy or half-heartedness, or being one thing in church and being another thing out there, that will not get it done. He says you can't live. I, I see it a lot. Man, we live, we live in a time where, um, shoot, you know, you, people live, they live their life, and then um, a lot of times, you know, we believe they're, they're Christians, or I have people in my life that I know that I see that, you know, I'm not, I'm not your Facebook guy, so I'm not chasing you down there. But, oh, my goodness, do I get tell sto stories told to me, you know. Did you see this, and did you see that? And, um, you know, we, are, we really have to pay attention to the claim that we're making. If Christ is the Lord of your life, and he teaches us the way that he wants us to live as Christians, we've got to pay attention to how we live. It makes a difference. It matters. You know, it's not just, you know, I make some kind of religious decision and I sign a card or I made a commitment or whatever and then I go my way and just do anything I want. That's not in the Bible. He wants us to be genuine. But this right here will make you stand up and take notice. He's talking to religious people. He's talking to pastors. He's talking to Sunday school teachers. He's talking to people that make a claim uh, for Christ in almost any area you want to apply. And he's saying, make sure that you didn't just get the outside all dressed up, but you got the inside, that you're forgiven, that you know that you trust in him and that you're letting your life shine through, through him. Being a church full of integrity, a people full of integrity. You buy all that? that that's what he's talking about. He's asking us... Uh, who are we going to be as the church? Who are we going to be as religious people in our community around us? Who are we going to be? You know, that's the, that's the thing I always say about our country, man. If all, the, if all the believers got up and just started living for Christ, living the way we ought to and uh, speaking up for him, you know, we got enough believers in this country to make a difference. But it sure seems like it's going the wrong way. We, we got to be living it on the inside and living it outward so that the, the outward appearance comes from the inside, not the other way around. Uh, the cup's got to be clean, not only on the outside, but on the inside. Second thing that struck me about all this is my thought and my burden for, for people that are lost or wandering away from God. Um, man, I, try, I work hard at trying to get people to come to church. You know, I, you know, that's not my, my big goal, but I feel like if I can get them to church, that maybe we can make a difference in, in them spiritually and all that. But, you know, I meet people that, that know Christ or that used to come to church or whatever. You know, 
it just bothers me that if I'm dedicating my life to Jesus Christ, that I can't even show up for an hour once in a while to come to church? Does that bother you? Am I being too judgmental? I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here. I get that. I'm, I, I get it. Uh, but, it. But it's something that we struggle with in church in our society today. We've, we, we've kind of put, maybe even put it on the back burner. It's not, I, I'm telling you, if, I got to be here. I got to be here not because I got to preach Sunday. I mean, I'm, I'm here. I'm going to church somewhere. Not that you can't miss church. I'm not talking about I'm just talking about what's in your heart a desire and a longing to serve and to worship God. Um, you know, that's what he desires for us. It really makes you think about where people's heart is because I'm not the judge. I'm not trying to figure it out. But he knows what's in our, is what's in our heart, the truth of, of us, and it creates a burden. Don't you have people in your life that you worry about like that? People that, that maybe claim that they're fine, you know, everything's fine, but... They're not, they're not living for Christ. You know, their lifestyle doesn't reflect. And we don't get to make the final decision. But it worries me. It makes me want to pray more. It makes me want to get involved. I mean, I have people all the time say, well, you can't press them and all that. I know that, but I want to. <laughs> because I can't. This scripture overwhelms me. Because... I'm sitting here praying about making sure that I'm not living in hypocrisy. So what in the world is going on out there? I don't want to preach the word to everybody else and miss it myself. How about you? But my heart goes out to people that haven't taken it seriously, that think that they can, you know, be baptized when they were eight years old and go out and live and do anything they want to do. I just can't find that in the Bible. How... What do we do about our burden for these people that we are concerned for? That if this passage is true, there's going to be a lot of people hearing woe to you. So I thought we would just pray about it. Let's pray for God to help us with our own moments of hypocrisy. Whenever we allow that to happen in our life. Because let's, you know, it happens to us, doesn't it? Got the good look on the outside, but maybe things aren't quite right on the inside. We got to make sure that we are taking time with Christ, making sure that everything is right in our relationship with him, not just majoring on the minor stuff, but really listening to what he's saying to us. And he's speaking to all of us differently, but then also praying for those people. Maybe it's your kids, or maybe it's your spouse, or maybe it's somebody you work with, but our, our heart cannot listen to a scripture like this and realize that people need to make, make their commitment to Christ. That's what's going to matter. You know, the world loves to tell us, well, everybody's going to heaven. They're not. Well, they're, you know, good people, they're going to make it in. They're not. I mean, I, I ask you, if he says he's the only way and that nobody's coming in except through him, that's it for me. So it worries us. And so uh, let's pray about it. Would you bow with me? Jesus, um, this is a fully loaded scripture here. And as I said earlier, it'd be easy to put all the blame 
and all the focus on those religious leaders there. But I know in my heart, he's just not talking about them. He's talking about me. And he's trying to help me not get caught up in just things on the outside and forget the transforming work that has to happen on the inside. Lord, I do not want to be a hypocrite. I do not want the people in this room to just look good on the outside and still be all tore up on the inside. Would you help us with that, Lord? Would you help us to follow you in such a way that we don't add to or take away, but that we practice what we preach and we don't do what we do to be seen by others, but we do what we do. We are who we are because of the powerful transforming work of your spirit inside of us. Clean us up. Keep us clean. Help us to walk with you and help us to, to, to not allow ourselves just to think that, that just Going through these steps is going to be enough if our heart is not really transformed. May everybody in this room, Lord, not live in a place of hypocrisy, but surrender our hearts completely to you. And Lord, we pray for our friends. We pray for some friends, Lord, that we, we can't help but be concerned about. We're unsure we, we don't want to be their judge and jury. You, you are the one that knows everybody's heart. We don't. But sometimes, Lord, we see things that look like Matthew 23, and it concerns us. We pray for, we, we pray for our husbands. We pray that, that they would surrender everything to Christ. We pray for our wives, that they would know you. We don't want our spouse to ultimately be lost because they really didn't take it seriously. We pray for our children, Lord. Sometimes our children, we, we raise them in the right way and yet they, they wander and they, they struggle and, and they, don't, they don't really see it the, the way that the scripture proclaims. Help it not to be about us, Lord. Help it not to be about our rules, Help our kids to experience Jesus as their Savior and the Lord of their life. And may the transforming work that is needed be in them through you. Jesus, be with the people around us, other family members, people that we work with, people that we care about so much, Lord. Once again, we don't, we don't want to judge them. We just want them to know about you. Because we believe that you're the only path. You're the only way. I know there's people that believe, devotedly believe a bunch of other ways, Lord. But we know that they need Jesus. And we pray that you would help us to live out a life that demonstrates the great salvation that you have given to every one of us. The grace and love that you have poured out on us. And help us to be able to introduce so many to know Christ. We love you, Lord. We pray that you would help us with these strong words and help us to know how to apply them to our life. We love you and we care how you feel about us, Lord. Continue to direct us and teach us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen.